as well. You just taught me something. Or honestly, you being fully transparent, you just taught me something because from your perspective, you see a you you a lot. I don't get to see. Well, let me say this because this is for the judge, for ours, for you, uh, Secretary Layton, that a lot of time. Then they have a, uh, we say fine line, but it might not be a fine line, that people say they were mental and they you shouldn't treat them like you treated anybody else. And I know the Judge Peterson, if she hasn't already, especially when she's in family court, she was approached by a situation like that. Somebody committed crime or somebody did something terribly wrong and they found later on, or if they got one, a, a smart lawyer, they want to say, they have a mental problem to get them off a light sentence or whatever. Tell us how you both all three have experienced things like this and what are your suggestions? I know I don't have your best. I, I, go, I go first, MC. It's a good question to ask. Uh, <clears throat> I was on my show with the mental health, you know, uh, 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 we just take that the case of where they have young ladies being raped or something. But it bothered me the most, okay, that when it was investigated, they wouldn't, the young ladies wouldn't tell because they knew that men who did it would kind of destroy the, you know, the, the family. And then in some cases, they found out that, that the young lady's mother had been raped, so the grandmother. So this was something that they thought was accepted as being a part of you know, them growing up. Or in some cases, we have found, I mean, they found, I should say, that coming out, discussing something that needs to be discussed, you said, you know, it's a stigma in the community, and I've got community, we used to use the word therapist. Like, I go to physical therapy all the time, and I said, my therapist, and they go, oh, I said, physical therapist. And, you know, but that's a thing, that's where therapist just sends a, a thought to a black person that you said, what is wrong with you? Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would categorize it as all of a sudden the attorney trying to get somebody off. Um, I, I would say that uh, you know, if somebody there's different levels of, of uh, mental health health issues that can impact somebody's behaviors. I think a lot of times what I see is not necessarily somebody trying to get somebody off of a charge but to explain some of the behaviors and issues that are being brought up to enhance sentencing regarding them. Now, sometimes if you have a mental health offense, that's different. Uh, that impacts your, your mens rea, your ability to understand that the time that you're committing your act, that it is an illegal, unlawful, or inappropriate act. That's different um, than using some mental health information to show that these behaviors aren't willful and deliberate but are impacted by, you know, their mental health and their ability to control some of their behaviors, which doesn't negate the whole issue, but those two ways that you can treat that individual. For instance, when I was a practicing attorney, I had an individual who had PTSD, and um, he was being bullied or picked on and had an episode where he, he stabbed the individual. Um, and it wasn't necessarily because that's what he had planned to do, but he just exploded based on all of this weight on his shoulders and the trigger that caused it to explode that he had never gotten any mental health help with. 
And so it wasn't a matter of we were trying to say he wasn't wrong in what he did, but more so that if we put these therapies in place and this treatment that he's never had, he may be able to control these behaviors so it won't happen in the future. So sometimes there's different ways that you can use uh, that information in a legal case to, to address sentencing or to address a case, depending on what you're looking at. Let me piggyback off of that, uh, Judge. Uh, a lot of situations when they say, I don't know if it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, determine whether a person is competent enough to stand trial. Defend that or define that for me, or our listening audience. Competent enough to sit. There's two different issues that you can address as far as competency. There's a competency at the time the offense occurred. And then there's competency at the time that you're standing trial that you can assist your attorney in defending you. And so um, sometimes you have somebody who has a mental illness or a mental break uh, where at the time that they commit the offense, they're not capable of appreciating or understanding what they're doing is wrong. That's a little different from at the time that you're supposed to be assisting your attorney to defend you that you are not competent to assist them in doing so and understand or appreciate what's going on. Um, I've had some individuals that, um, and we have a place called Fulton in Missouri, that they put individuals who are in jail or in prison waiting on addressing their, their charges uh, but are incompetent to stand trial at that time. And then they work with them. They either give them the medication to stabilize them or try and get them to a place where they're capable of then working with their attorney to address the case, either, you know, to have a trial and be able to help them prepare and defend a trial. Um, and that's happened in the past where, where you had people that were not confident at the time, but then got back on their medication or, or had got their issue addressed enough where they were capable of assisting their attorney to have a trial and defend them. Um, well, let me, add, let me add this. Just say, and this might be the wrong word, all of a sudden, because of pressure or whatever, I snapped. How do you best deal with that? And then the person says, snap for maybe an hour or so, and then they might say, I'm back to normal. How do you, 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 you deal with that? Well, it depends. Snap is a lot of things, you know. The question is, did they have something that all of a sudden can be diagnosable that caused them to, as you say, snap or to, to lose it at that time? Or is it something that they've just come up with to use as an excuse to excuse their behavior for acting like that? So it, there's a lot of things that go into that. Sometimes that's a valid defense if you have a true history of mental health, it might be. But if you don't, you know, then some people will try and come up. And I've had people say, you know, I want a mental health evaluation. We've had a mental health evaluation. It came back that they were competent. I don't believe that. I want another one. Well, you know, at some point in time, you're not going to get the answer you want that you can use that as a defense. We're going to have to go to plan B. Um, so it kind of depends on the individual, the circumstances, and there's not one one particular answer that you can answer that with without more facts. Judge, you know, you just raised a point there. I have to ask this out. Is there any kind of training that a judge gets, you know, in their schooling or in the, when they're on the bench that upgrade them how to deal with mental cases or not in particular. There are classes that we can take and CLEs that we have along the line that address some of these issues, but that's why you have professionals on here like Mr. Latham 
or, or individuals that work with these kind of organizations or mental health professionals to come testify and explain those circumstances. Um, and, and they do a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I do want to ask Mr. Lathan this. According to the information in your literature that I got, uh, you guys, um, you advocate for people with mental illness, take public policy um, for those with mental illness and their families, and also make their voices heard. And according to your newsletter, you have um, not only lunch and learn sessions um, each second Wednesday of the month, um, but that you also have done some advocacy, according to your literature, um, that you've had uh, access to antipsychotic medications. You had a Senate Bill 173 and House Bill 364 that you guys were promoting. I don't know the outcome of that. I'm going to ask you about that. And then you had a mental health parity bill. 80 and a House Bill 383 that I don't know if you guys are supporting or that's been addressed. And then you also assisted with the Medicaid expansion funding, which I think is what we just, I'm assuming that's the one that just got passed and supported by the court uh, to get more um, services for individuals that need them. Uh, do you have any other things that you are working on that they didn't get a chance to print in this list or the things in this list that you've made some progress on you want to mention? Um, there's so much in the works right now. Um, we're hoping, um, next in April to go back and meet with our representative again. We partners in policy. We didn't get to go last year because of the pandemic, obviously, but we're hoping to go back this year. Um, again, some of the things that we, uh, we definitely want to get more resources into the community. We want to, um, there's a woman that one of our other board members, Carol McGraw, that we're working with her to try to get um, actually medication for incarcerated individuals because oftentimes when individuals are incarcerated, they aren't, for some reason, they're not able to get their medications. That's another conversation that needs to, have, to happen why they can't get their medications, but that's something that we're working on. We're also working to help get people, those who can't afford their medications due to economic circumstances. We're trying to work to make sure that they can get their medication somehow. Um, those are two of the, those are a couple of the big things we're working on right now that we're really, that are, we feel are really critical as um, they worked critical during the pandemic and unfortunately with the pandemic um, seeming to escalate again, they're going to become even more critical. Okay. Um, and then um, you also had in here well, two things. Um, it looks like you all, all are a nonprofit. You're a 501 organization, so you didn't get, you know, you can you can plug in me for, for donations and support for your organization, but it looks like you had a walk day um, in October, like October 9th. You're planning a uh, some type of walk uh, to raise money for this organization. Is that still on uh, based on how the pandemic's been going? That is still on. Um, you can physically walk that day or you'll be able to uh, do virtually walk. I'm planning to do the physical one, Lord willing. Um, but you can also, like I said, you can do it virtually as well. Um, we're working at the location detail and um, if you go to NAMI, greaterkc.org um, as it gets closer you'll be able to find more information about that okay. and then you also
also, I'm looking at here, you have here some in-person and some Zoom groups that you talked about. Um, how does that, can you talk about the uh, in-person groups, how that's set up? Because I know you're concerned about social distancing and also with the new mask mandate. And then how Zoom works as far as the groups are concerned, is it more effective to do it over Zoom for some people, or do you think that it's more effective to do it in person to make that connection? Um, if I had, if, if my ideal would be to do it in person, I've experienced both of them. Um, the in-person ones, obviously, um, I haven't been to one in a while because we've been doing all of ours over Zoom since the pandemic started. Um, the in-person ones, I mean, social distancing is, is respected. Um, masks are definitely required. Um, over Zoom, I can speak to it from the technical perspective because I do, I coordinate ours for Greater Kansas City. I do I set it up and everything. Um, it's it's effective. Um, it just requires um, the work of a couple myself and the facilitators to make sure that everyone gets heard and um, just the Zoom etiquette that we're all trying to adapt to in the last year or so. Um, but with the non, with the way NAMI is set up, with having everyone having two or three minutes to share, everyone's pretty respectful and it's effective. But again, in a perfect world, we'd be in person together, but we can't do that right now necessarily. So we understand. Right. Um. Do you have any other questions you wanted to ask? I have some other questions, but I don't want to hog him the whole time. Uh, Judge, <laughs> so I, you got his balls in your court. You can use the co-host. I defer to you. Okay. Um, I have questions okay. I have questions okay, but I know my place, so I defer to you. No, no you go, Ira, because I got some other ones I can ask. So you go ahead before I start mine. <laughs> Well, 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 one of the things, okay, you know, that uh, that I have experienced, you know, kind of growing up in the South, is seeing that they have even less, you know, mental health, you know, help in the South, that you see in most families, they have somebody that will sit by the window, uh, and they just will sit there, and, and there was no effort made to give them any help. And likewise, with the children they would have. And so, so when people move from the South to the North, so to speak, there's a continuation of, of the customer of, you know, of accepting this, this, this non-treatment, I should say, for lack of a description. Is there anything that they, you can see that's being done to try to, you know, I, I guess the question I'm saying, since there was you know, eradication of the black therapist some years ago, is there any type of effort now to get black therapists back into the black community? Um, there is an effort, um, there's an organization, I want that called BIMO or something about it, but um, that is an effort to get black characters into the black community. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that about moving from the south to the north because my mom was born in Bahia, Mississippi, okay. and she moved to Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> so it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. And to your point, I feel that a lot of times when people would do that, when they felt, when they would see that person sitting by the window, right, yes, they just didn't know what to do. Right, yeah, I kind of figured it out. My, I kind of saw the people I'm here in my, in my uh, on my mother's side, my grandmother, you know, uh, and she would sit there, you know, and was distant. She would talk sometimes, sometimes she wasn't, you know, and 
Uh, and I just kind of never figured it out until later on. And then I started seeing that was a common practice I got older, okay? You know, because I was in Big Mississippi myself, okay? And I was in the Delta Blues down, you know, right across the river there. And so I had a chance to look at, you know, the South through two different lenses all together from the city perspective and from, you know, from the rural areas. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was, it was you know, quite, a, you know, quite a, you know, an awakening, okay? And that's why when I got involved with black professionals, you know, here in St. Louis, uh, we did a show, you know, on a regular basis about mental health and, and how they could get help, you know, in the cases that they were having. Some of just would break your heart, hooks you, that there's something you would hear. And they would talk about what they could, what, what they could talk about, something like that, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm working on is I'm going to be going, going into some churches with a presentation about trying to get rid of that stigma and let people know what you can do because a lot of times you just you want to say something but you don't want to say the right wrong thing because it might set them off or or the family or the family yeah so you so I I want to help to teach because I can come from both perspectives having been someone with an illness and now being on the other side of it I can say okay this is what you say what you don't want to say so that people can feel like, okay, this is, I can try to help this person as opposed to not knowing what to do and kind of just throwing up your hands, which is frustrating for everybody. Well, Mr. Mason, we look like some of comrades when we meet on you. We're doing some work now in Haytown, Missouri, um, where that's the poorest county in Missouri. Uh, we do some work down there, so we know that a lot of people down there that would be needing your service and all your advice, and then when you can be helpful. So I would be calling you back and have, you know, you know, get some suggestions, you know, like having my own radio program, which we have, you know, with the USA. I'd be glad to be honored to. Matter of fact, one last, one last thing, Judge. I will say this. I'm happy to say that my son-in-law, uh, what he just retired from Apple. And a couple of years ago, he went and got this training, you know, from the degrees to, you know, to sort his own, become his own therapist. And that kind of helped gave him more money, okay, to stay with them. But he just recently decided to step out on his own, but he saw such a need that in the black community, especially, to put more therapists that now he's on his own. That's even called a robber, you know what I mean? And I'm proud of him, especially having a conversation with today, that he saw a need to help his brother, brothers, he told him about it. I do have a question. Um, I, I don't know exactly where your offices are in Kansas City to work with individuals, but there is information, again, in the literature that indicates that black immigration population in the U.S. has increased. Um, it was 816,000 in 1980. Now it's over 4.2 million, and that was in 2016. And then uh, 39% of those are from Africa, Africa and uh, the Caribbean countries who have different issues that have caused them to have struggles sometimes with some of the cultural issues or the environmental issues that African Americans have. And so I know particularly down in the Independence Avenue area, there's a lot of, uh, like, Guahili, there's some Nigerians, there's a lot of uh, different groups of cultures down there and, and that have their own different struggles. Have you had any experience uh, working with those communities or are the people that you deal with regularly African-American and not so much the uh, 
Africans or the Caribbeans or the minorities that come from other countries that need help and have other issues that cause uh, them to have to need that mental health support. I haven't had any personal experience with those communities as far as their mental health. However, I was on a call with uh, NAMI National a few weeks ago where we were talking about getting help to those communities like that because obviously there's a need in the the black or African American community, but like you said, in that African community, there is there's different problems, so we're working to get people who can, I mean, we don't have, like you said, we don't have a physical office now, but um, from a nation, national perspective, we're working to get people who can speak to people in their language, who can speak to the people in their language or if they're English speaking, can still speak to, to still get connected to them. So. That is something that we are aware of, um, both locally and from a non-national perspective. So that is, um, again, there's, again, that's something we know is a problem. I've gone to college with uh, people that come from Africa. I've uh, had personal interactions with people that come from Africa. They have some similar issues to what we have, but coming to this country can be quite intimidating. Right, and sometimes they just don't know where to go, so that outreach might be real beneficial for some of those communities if you can gain the trust. Um, and which leads me to my next question, and that has to do with collaboration of uh, community organizations. There's a number of community organizations that are trying to do a lot of things, and some of them are just a different area, but still trying to deal with the whole person issue. Um, and like you mentioned, you're going to be going out to churches. Are there any other uh, community organizations that you all are working to collaborate with uh, to get services to the individuals that you're working with or to assist in uh, addressing issues that you might need help with? Um, well, one of the organizations is, um, it's a, NAMI, it's a, there's a mental health court. Maybe you can, maybe you know a little bit more about this than I do. Um, I'm actually a transplant from Omaha, so I'm learning a little bit more about the entity as I go. Um, but um, there's a mental health court, I believe, that meets once a month. Is it, is it in Jackson County? That's an organization we're looking to work with. Um, we've also um, worked. We've also worked with a. Um, there's also been a doc. We've also worked with a local documentary maker who helped us to who's interviewed some of our board members, uh, that documentary is online. Um, we're also working with Rockers College to bring a speaker here in March of 2022 to speak about mental illness issues. So there's those are just a few of the few people that we're looking to work with and we're still finding more. Um, we've got uh, some great board members who are always trying to find, or find ways for us to help out. Uh, we're also going to be at Pride Fest here almost the next, this month, but it's actually going to be next month in, eight, in August. We'll actually be volunteering with, at Pride Fest, and we'll have some people there as well. Megan, I think one person you're talking to right now on the telephone, uh, the judge right now, she'd be a good person to rely on because she has a whole lot of connections. I'm pretty sure she'd be really happy on that. 
<laughs> we do have uh, the municipal court has a mental health court uh, that's run by Judge Gordy Bland, um, and then there is a mental health court with the Jackson County Circuit Court. Uh, they do have a mental health court as well that they operate. Um, I'm not sure about the other courts uh, around the Kansas City metropolitan area, but I do know that there are two courts that deal with mental health. And then there's also a veterans court that Dutch Land operates that um, he has uh, he, he deals with some of the veterans too. But they they kind of get the services to the VA, but they also have mental health issues that they address with some of the veterans as well. So. That might be some organizations that might be very happy to have some support from your organization once you get a chance. And this pandemic dies down a little for you to be able to participate in. So, uh, thank you, Sharon. Yeah, so that, that might be helpful. And there's a, there's a lot of, uh, we, we work with some other organizations who, uh, uh, in the family. We have a, we have a uh, substance, uh, you could say a drug court, if someone calls it substance abuse court, but we have a, uh, drug court that we run in the municipal court. There's also a drug court that is um, in the circuit court, and I used to ran, run the family drug court in um, in Jackson County for the family court. Uh, I used to run the drug court there. Now, when I operated the drug court, about 50% of the people in my drug court, in addition to the drug issues, had mental health issues, and then about 60% of those individuals had um, domestic violence issues, so they all seem like they go hand in hand and turn into a snowball effect once you got one thing that impacts the other. So even if you may, you know, have work with the mental health court, some of these other courts might also have clients that you would be able to provide services to. Just because they're in one court doesn't mean they have don't have those issues that can be addressed in another one. And that dual diagnosis is it's so I mean, it could be so, I've seen it, I mean, we forced me to get an advocate treatment, I've been in treatment with those who have deal with the dual diagnosis of having substance abuse, as well as the mental piece of it, and all I can say is, all I, I mean, I definitely want to get them resources because it's debilitating. I've seen what it does to families. I mean, you address the domestic violence piece of it. I mean, got the violence and the PTSD for anybody who witnesses it. I mean, it's just a, it's ongoing. Okay, well, once again, we done reached that point. Uh, the show is about to close down, but I was going to say this. I mentioned uh, at the top of the show that probably do two uh, uh, workshop or two shows and next one will be and everybody who's participating today want you to participate or listen on the 14th of August and the host will be attorney Katina Teller and we're reaching out to a Melissa Bradley Asley and I was going to uh, reach out to you sir but the whole our whole set today people need to listen or uh, tune in. The other thing we need to do, and we appreciate you, although you, uh, you're not from uh, Kansas City, from Omaha, but that's not your fault. But we need to get out, and I will tell you, we need to get more listeners, and I will tell everybody who's listening to us how they can reach and listen to the show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Um, when you're listening to Frequency USA, HotTalkRadio.com, and you can go to our website uh, on any kind of computer device, uh, and you go there, you go to our homepage and look into our podcast library. You can get all our MC shows. Matter of fact, MC coming up on the anniversary, first year anniversary with the station. Uh, you can also be seen on YouTube, also on Facebook, Twitch, all right, Scott? Uh, you're you're on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and the web page. And in a, a couple weeks, we'll have uh, availability for anywhere you can get your podcast. We will have guests who's coming to Kansas City. Yes, yeah, so we'll grow, and I want Scott to make them do that to you. So right now, we're expanding our borders. Don't go back and read a description. Okay. Well, we have Jason Lathan on here from NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Mr. Lathan, we really appreciate you spending your time giving us this important information and letting us know about your organization that's going to be a vital, um, vital support in the community for those who are suffering from mental health issues. We appreciate the Zoom and the outreach that you're doing to help people in Kansas City. Can you let them know how to contact you? Um, if they want to do a couple of things, either to support you financially or to contact you for support with mental health issues of themselves, with people in their family, what's your contact information is? Okay, my contact information is jason.lathan.com. Um, if they want to reach get information about NAMI, it's um, info at NAMI, greater KC, that's N-A-M-I, greaterkc.org again the website is www.namikraterkc.org or facebook.com slash namikc and we can be reached at 816-226-6798 and of course uh, MT Richard and I'm an Media Association uh, we're uh Establish that website, and that'll be Yuma dot website, and I can be reached at eight one six eight two two eight eight six six. Mobile number is eight one six six nine four twenty two seventy three. And Judge, I'll go. On. I had a lot of things. I said the balls in your court, but you guys handle things so beautiful. Cause I, all I can do is sit back and listen and learn. Okay, well, you can reach me through MC, so if anybody needs to get a hold of me, contact MC. Yes, our folks will do that in the conversation. You also can reach me through MC, which is also one of our members also. Uh, uh, Jason, uh, Mr. Lake, you might well say that they can reach you through me, too. <laughs> <laughs> They're making a full court, although, uh, boy, boy, I was lost in Toronto again today, although y'all not interested in that. Except for our... Okay. All right. Thank you. Be sure to tune in. Our what time does your other regular show come on? Because we want the people to jam your station up or your internet up so everybody can have the pleasure of listening to that no nonsense information you provide weekly. Well, yes, everything for the last, since 2015, lunch with the Mr. Batshima Comrades has been heard from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. every Saturday, and I can't count the guests we have had. The shows we have, and one thing I tell people, you know shows are, are, are the same. If
appreciate Jennifer Peterson because I guess she's been kind of skating now and uh, Mr. Layton, but now of course going to get full and she probably won't have time to breathe, but we'll we'll put in a special air condition so she can breathe better. <laughs> okay, thank you, MC. So it's good to see you guys and have you on this show. Have a great evening. Rock is going to be safe. All right, everybody be safe. Mm -hmm. Thank you.